Hey, what's up, everybody? This is your boy and your host. This is Will Smith. Welcome again to another episode of According to Will. On this episode, we're going to be um, discussing. I have two guests, um, Peter Griffin and David Rogers. We are going to be discussing um, pandemic and the faux oppression um, of white men. We're going to just discuss this. This is just something that um, we're going to talk about. Um, and um, it's a bit pointed. Um and it may ruffle some feathers, but we're trying to um, accurately articulate and, and speak truth to power. So um, I hope that this episode causes you to think. I hope that this episode opens your eyes and enlightens you. Once again, this is According to Will, and I am Will Smith. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of According to Will. On today, we're going to be talking with two powerful individuals, um, my brother-in-law, Peter Griffin, and then also Apostle David Rogers out of Chicago, Illinois. My brother-in-law is out of uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And we're going to be talking about um, the race, even more racial disparities uh, and things of that nature that have happened and are continuously coming to the light as far as this disease COVID-19 and all these things are um, are happening in America. Um, my brother-in-law wrote a very powerful Facebook post talking about the lucid, how lucid America has become in retrospect to these things. And we just, um, it's, I got a lot of powerful information coming your way. You got some nuggets. So I want you guys, as I always say, strap on your seatbelts. Uh, matter of fact, take your shoes off. It might get a little bumpy. Um, and if you get offended, fine. If you don't, fine. But this is Will Smith, and this is According to Will. I want to welcome Apostle David Rogers and uh, Peter Griffin. You all give them a hand clap, a virtual hand clap if you can. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I thank you for um, your willingness to be a part of this. How you all got? How you all doing today? Uh, grace and peace. I'm doing good, man. Just uh, <clears throat> riding the storm out and getting ready for the next se- the next season. Good, good. Peter, how you feeling, man? Hello, Peter. Can you hear me? Did he put it on mute? Mm, oh, yeah, connected. Yes, they connected. Peter, can you hear me? Because I'm out there. Let me see. One second. He didn't get a call in, did he? No, I'm here. Oh, okay. Can you hear me now, Peter? I I can hear you guys. Y'all just can't hear me. I'm wondering if if I need to hit something different on my phone. I can hear you now. Oh, you can? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. I didn't do it. All right. Well, good. I'm glad. (laughs) All right. Okay. So that's, ain't no thing. It's all this stuff I can just edit out. Um, so, Peter, um, according to your um, your podcast, not your podcast, but your Facebook post that you made, ooh, it was a few days ago. I kind of I, I, I copied and pasted to my um, Evernote um, and you were talking about um, how America has become, you know, lucid, but has never um, in introspection produced the empathy requisite to mend our classism or racism um, as far as the oppression and everything has, has happened even now. So we still, we see 
um, how the majority of America, or not even the majority, but a lot of white Americans who are upset and up in arms at the fact that, you know, we've been in sheltered in place, but it seems as if kind of like their cognitive dissonance is on display. And then they're trying to liken these things um, to like slavery. Um, both you and Apostle Rogers, I want to know, like, how do you feel? What comes to mind when you see individuals talking about give me liberty or give me death, um, you know, or shelter in place is like slavery? How do you all feel when it comes to seeing these types of images, knowing the history that America um, has and has continuously um, ignored when it comes to our community? Wow, that's a lot. Which who, who who's going first? Dave, you got that? Nope. Or do, I need to deal with that. <laughs> you wrote the article, brother, so we're gonna, <laughs> gonna let you flow. Right. We're gonna, gonna feed off of you. All yeah. right, sounds like a plan. Um, you know, this is the thing, Will. Several things come to mind. Number one, um, the the last thing that comes to mind is the fact that America is really big into revisionist history. Most Americans never study history from uh, an, an accurate viewpoint. And what I mean to say, when I say that, I mean that since 1915, the history books in America have completely written out um, the the African American experience, you know, the the, the Latino American experience, the Native American experience, and our contributions and what we know to be true. And so, and, and it actually was before then, but it was a concerted effort by our then president. 1915, who used to be the, at the time, the uh, president of Harvard to write it out of history. So most Americans, when they study American history, you can literally study American history and think white men did everything great and that everything white men did was great. And so when you put those two things together, at couple that with the fact that um, we have a lot of Americans who still believe that the Confederate flag represents something other than hatred and racism, and you add into the mix that um, these people who they feel robbed. And I'm going to say, you know, there's a big in white America right now, there is this um, reverse racism idea that's prevalent. You have all of these types of thoughts that uh, are, are mixing together in the, in the social discourse where white Americans feel like for the first time they have to struggle. And for years they've been lying to them. They've been lied to by the, by the elite that the reason that they're struggling has to do with brown skin primarily or black skin primarily. You add all that together and they, they'll take almost any issue and try to make it rise to the same level as our prior, um, prior disadvantages that other people suffered. And I mean, in, in some ways, it's a joke. The only reason they are that certain elements of our culture are allowed to think that way is because they don't know the real sacrifice that everyone else has made on, on America's behalf. They're not made to learn that or read that or study that or embrace that as a truth so they don't value other men's experiences or have to even hear the voices of uh, African-American men, for, for instance, um, in our n normal discourse. And when I say that, what I mean is, other than comedians, intelligent Black men aren't on television who speak their mm -hmm. mind. And outside of comedians, intelligent Black men are not allowed on radio to speak their mind. They, uh, The vast majority of white America, over 95%, goes to school 
from K through 12 and never have an African-American male teacher teach them anything. They never are made to actually listen to the voice of black America. And so because of that, they, they, they have a complete disconnect when it comes to what's actually happening, what oppression truly is. Um, and so mm -hmm. they take what, what's happening now, which is a false, fake imp uh, oppression. It is a self-induced oppression. And they're trying to make that a real issue. And it's just, it makes wow. no real sense. I'll start off with that. Oh, okay. Apostle, what, you, what, what, what are your thoughts? Well, for me, the underlying white supremacy that rides side by side with capitalism uh, and the power systems that we have here is a part of what he's talking about in terms of the creation of these these uh, mentalities and mindsets and cultural um, kind of, I don't know, mores that are are built into the fabric of this of this nation. And so um, a person who is being conditioned, because you can't call it education because they're not being educated. They're not being taught these things. They're being conditioned to operate in these things from a psychological level from when they're born all the way up until they take office or come into position that they are genetically and intellectually superior to anybody else that's considered African-American, Latino-American, Asian-American, or Native American. And wow. so recently, um, a guy who I was in relationship with, who, you know, I'm, I'm believing that this guy is a Christian and he's, you know, really on point. We've had conversations. We've driven up to his church and fellowship with he and his wife and their ministry. He recently put up a post on Facebook that reported that they were going to go into civil war in Wisconsin if the Democratic governor who put them on shelter in place didn't lift the shelter in place. So I'm thinking that he's putting up a post that someone else wrote. So I responded to the post and said, who wrote this? And he said he did. And I'm like, well, what does this mean, civil war? Because civil war in my mind is a time when this nation was divided, fighting for the freedom of slavery, freedom of right. slaves. And who do you all plan on? Who's your target if you're in civil war and you're armed and you have machine guns and AR-15s and bullets? Who do you plan on shooting in this civil war? Because a civil war means you, you plan on killing your own citizens. And wow. he never responded to my question. And it was it was heartbreaking to say the least, but it was an eye awakening uh, situation for me because you have these uh, white supremacist militias that have been training in this country for years and pushing this you know racial war that's supposed to break out in this country, and nothing is done about it. They in Kentucky, they just was walking down the street in their protest with machine guns, the same mm -hmm. people that you know, call Colin Kaepernick a communist and he's this and he's that for simply kneeling because of police brutality in this country. But now you have to stay in the house for four weeks and now you're ready to take up arms and shoot everybody, your fellow American citizens, under the guise of someone is infringing upon your right to go outside and get coronavirus and die. 
So we definitely have a, a, a huge disconnect in our country as it relates to uh, who we are culturally and the understanding of whether or not African-Americans are even citizens here because we're, we've never been treated as such. This is very true. And I just, so when it, when it, when it comes down to it, um, like I said, like the cognitive dissonance and then even the fact that you have white privilege on open full display when you have militias and you have gentlemen and people who can make posts specifically Caucasian men and women who can make posts about there being a civil war and they wanted their freedom and how uh, Peter you said you know and I never thought of it in that matter like 95% of the uh, Caucasian race have not had African American teachers have not had the opportunity or even been made to listen to black male the voice. words and thoughts huh? I said, a black male voice it's specifically a man not yeah. just they've had black women they have not had a black man tell them what it is. Mm. They've never had to listen okay. to that. So then when you say the black, they listen to black women. Why is it? Why do you think that um, listening to a black man is more, uh, I want to say detrimental, but a little bit more pointed and powerful than listening to the female? Why do you think that white men and white society feel and deem that um, kind of critical that to not hear the voice of a black man. It goes back to race, uh, sexism. Sexism was a big part of um, the isms that that we that we wrestle with, that we've inherited from uh, a patriarchal system that you know had existed um, in Europe and in much of the known world, for that matter. But the bottom line is, women in general can be heard and then dismissed. Um, you know, and and men, especially when you first get married and, and that kind of a thing, men with, with women around them, you know, your mother can say something, your sister can say something, your wife can say something, and it can feel like nagging. And then your bro can say the exact same thing to you. And then for whatever reason, you don't see it as nagging when he says it. You know, women complain about this phenomenon all the time. But the bottom line is men don't feel like they have to respect a woman's voice. So if a woman is teaching, um, then they can hear her teach. But what I'm talking specifically about is black men teaching things like history, teaching um, um, African-American history, teaching mathematics, teaching science, teaching something that's that um, requires the student of uh, teaching philosophy, teaching something that requires the student to actually make the mental connection that an African-American man is worth listening to. When in America has went out of his way, and I can show, we could talk about a million statistics that deal with this, especially relating to housing. We've gone out of our way in the way we form cities and where we put suburbs and how we um, how we re-genderize uh, cities and locations, locales. We've gone out of its way to prove that the whiter something is, the better it is. That's the connection that's always made and it's co constantly reinforced. And so when you go into any neighborhood that's predominantly African-American, money is immediately siphoned out, new business and new structures, school, school systems are, are abandoned. This is the history of America in the 20th century where um, new areas were being built, suburbs, so on and so forth, the wider, the better. Um, and this goes all the way back to redlining and all of that history. And so because America has, and I like, 
the phrase uh, David said, he said, it's not an education. He said, it's a conditioning. America has been fully conditioned to not listen to the black male voice. Men like Tavis Smiley, men like uh, mm-hmm, Roland mm-hmm. Martin were taken off of television and they all have to do their own little side thing or put on a, you know, some random um, afterthought station, but they're never in the limelight. They're replaced by men like, uh, like I said, D.L. Hughley is the biggest thing on radio right now. Steve Harvey is on TV and radio, but these are comedians. We can make him laugh. We can shoot a ball. We can sing a song. We can't make them think. And, and, and America has reinforced that. So what, has, what happens is the perspective that, that only comes from those who understand what oppression really is and who has a history and a legacy built on understanding and teaching um, what oppression is and how and, and what it feels like, man, that's completely absent so that these men can then recreate what they want oppression to be, which for them is having to wear a mask in the middle of a viral epidemic. That is oppression. The governor of uh, Ohio, he just he just passed, uh, and he just made an addendum in, uh, to the law here because he said that people are feel like wearing face masks are offensive, so they're no longer going to require that that uh, shoppers wear face masks inside of um, a retail establishments. They're, that they're opening up. It's offensive. Yeah, offense. You heard the word. Yeah, the word. Literally, look it up. It's on the news today. Is offensive. And why is it a, why is it considered offensive? Because someone just doesn't want to do it. That spirit of rebellion is baked into America. I mean, and it is it is old as the founding of this country, man. It's like butter in, in a pound cake, brother. You can't get it out, and it's is it's just in there. You don't have a cake without it. America is not America without these uh, this idea that they don't have to follow the same rules. Um, you know, and at the same time, when you don't follow the rules, they cry law and order. When they don't follow the rules, they call it being American. Um, so, I mean, it's a lot. Of, it's, it's a lot to unpack this, but it's all part and parcel of the culture. And, and the reason I wrote the post was primarily to say that, you know, there's an old saying that says that when uh, America catches a cold, Black America catches the flu. And although we are mm-hmm. the most adversely affected by the pandemic right now. Um, and that, you know, we we have these voices crying out that they're being oppressed, as if um, not being able to go to work, you know, for a month, not being able to make your money for work is oppressive. And I'm not saying that it's not some level of oppression, uh, or it doesn't feel like oppression. But the bottom line is, we've been crying for for years, for centuries, for decades, that we're cut out of the system, that we haven't been able to make money the same way, and that is government funded. And it's because of the government and they never listen to our voice. So my whole thing is you got one month of fake oppression that you're going through. Recognize our 400 years of brutality. <laughs> and I, I just want you, mm-hmm. you're lucid enough to see that what you're going through, that through doesn't feel free. But you're too blind to recognize that what we've been going through and are still going through is what true oppression is. And um, that's what really needs to be lifted. So. Wow. So. Dave, let's go back to your friend. So, did you say like, if I heard you correctly, you said that your friend was he a is he a pastor? Or just he's a pastor, pastor, and he's a friend of mine. Okay, so wow, so and he still is currently yep. pastoring, but he feels as if you know if things don't happen or things don't change, that there's going to be a civil yeah, he's war. A, he's a so he's then, a part of this political ideology <clears throat> being born out of this pseudo conservatism. 
that believes that anything that is coming from democratic leadership is satanic mm. and doesn't need to be followed. Absolutely. And that they wow. can do whatever they want to do under the guise of the Constitution without uh, really understanding the Constitution because, you know, I was a pre-law major before I was a pastor. So when they try to bring okay. these these fake arguments up, they're, they're upset because I can give them educated information. And so like Peter is saying, with having to hear educated Black men, there has always been a concerted effort to stifle the voice of educated black men because it does away with the narrative that we're we're dumb, we're savages, you know, we're uncouth, we're unkept. And so when you have intelligent black men who are thinkers, then they're always attacked, they're stifled, or they're assassinated. And not okay. only not only does white America do that, but black America does that. Because they we oh. we don't really want to hear from our real voices. And so we'll give Steve Harvey a platform, we'll give D.L. Hewley a platform, but you ask a black person, well, name a black college professor, name a black attorney, name a black business leader. We can't do it. I go, when, I, when I do, when I wow. do leadership training in, in schools, I go and do leadership training in high schools. And I asked the kids, how many of y'all know LeBron James? Everybody's jumping up and down. Yeah, yeah, LeBron James. How many of y'all know Beyonce? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, what's LeBron James' attorney's name? What's his sports agent's name? What's his en endorsement attorney's name? Who's, who's Beyonce's attorney? They have no idea. Because we're not educating our children to love education. Our entire culture is built around entertainment, hence... The governor of Atlanta opening up Georgia opened up all the entertainment venues, the barbershop, the beauty salon, the tattoo parlor, the bowling alley, because they know we're drawn to that. And he knows that when those people go there, they're going to be infected and some of those people are going to die. So it's an actual strategy. And sometimes I don't think we think things through because we haven't heard the voice of educated black men <coughs> to understand from a strategic standpoint why these things are wrong. So people just, they get in the flow, in the herd mentality, and they just flow with whatever's going on. Just here in, this weekend in Chicago, we had a party with a thousand young people. Wow. A thousand in wow. one house in the midst of a global Jeez. pandemic. And they're saying, oh, it's, uh, it's, it was built in a lab to kill black people. Well, if it was, why are you still outside with no mask in a party full of people that done came from everywhere. Y'all going to party until the early morning, and then you're going to go home and infect everybody that's in your family that you're living with. Wow. Exactly. So, and, and then, you know, it, and then you see in places like Chicago again, and then in places like Georgia and, and places all over the world, people have been having, you know, um, these underground quarantine parties. And now that some of these, um, shelter-in-place bans have been lifted you know people are hitting the streets and they're going out um and they're not even thinking especially in our community though we're still the ones like you said who do not want to hear um the voices of reliable credible black men um you know it's easy to make us laugh and to lull us to sleep with you know comedic relief but you know something that will shake us and wake us up 
to bring us to, to really a conscious awareness of what really is going on. I really believe and how I feel, and it's like you already stated, that they're opening up our business because um, it, we can become like guinea pigs. And then, if you know, the more we the, the numbers rise for us, then um, the better it is for them, because then we're still dying from a disease, you know, in this global pandemic. Now, Governor Kemp kept his everything closed because he said that it wasn't safe. But you open up everything else for us pretty much in the hood, primarily because, you know, you're trying to jumpstart the economy. Now, I don't believe that, you know, four weeks to six weeks for a small business. Well, I'll take that back for a small business. Sure, you may struggle to stay afloat. But I believe, like um, Pastor Jamal Bryan said, that your humanity um, is greater than your economy. You know, sure, you need to make money to survive and so your business won't close so you can balance your books and things like that. But is it worth you dying? Is because we don't have a cure, we don't have even a vaccine, but we're not going to talk about the vaccine um, because there's conspiracy theories and all these things as you know, they're saying that they're, you know, if you if they make the vaccine, the RFD chip is going to be in the vaccine and we're going to be taking the mark of the beast and things like that. We could talk about right. that. Early, earlier, you like, used the word called credibility. And uh-huh. when when there is a strategy of a 300 year strategy to wipe the black family out, more particularly uh-huh. black leadership in the home, then you don't have a people uh-huh. who value their own life. And so as much as this coronavirus is a pandemic, we have a pandemic of gun violence in every major city in America. And that's wow. caused by kids who have not been identified. The, the, the role of a man and a father and a husband in a home, according to the Bible, is to identify children, to lay hands on them, bless them, and name them. So when you have an entire mm-hmm. generation mm-hmm. now since the 60s that when the, when the New Deal came into place by the Democrats to switch Black voters from Republican to Democrat, that offering, Uh-oh. that offering uh-huh. came under the guise of welfare, Section Eight, all of that kind of stuff. But you couldn't have a man in the house if you wanted to receive those benefits. And so, in the '60s, right. they assassinated all of our black leaders and That's replaced right. them with gang members, and then gave us welfare and Section Eight and all of these entitlement programs to eliminate the black man and his authority in his home. And so from the sixties until now, all the way up until today, we're still suffering from the lack of black male strength and leadership in the home. And then we're trying to put that leadership in other places. We're blaming the church for not doing it. We're blaming the government for not doing it and all of that kind of stuff. When the reality is our survival as a people is dependent upon what's going on at our dining room table in our in our conversations with our fathers and our grandfathers who are being wiped out wow. in mass number and incarcerated so that they don't have those discussions with their children. Wow. And that's that's a very um very powerful statement that you made that you know in our own home, you know, according to the scripture that we're supposed to name and identify 
um, our children, our sons, namely our sons, um, and give strength to that. So then in turn, they build their families because, you know, the stronger the family, the stronger the community. And if you remove the black man out of the family structure and then you replace it with everything else, then naturally that whole nucleus, uh, it weakens. And so then we don't have a voice. We don't have the strength. And then we are pretty much doomed and to face a demise. Um, and, and like, you know, I don't believe it is 100% on the church. You know, it's not the church's fault because the church doesn't name families. We, you know, families start churches. So we kind of, you know, blame the church, like you said, and we put that blame on the church and we put the blame on the government when, in fact, there is some onus that we must take for ourselves and some responsibility that we must take and in order to um, rebuild the strength of our family and the strength of our community. And I, and I see that there is some movements but then even with those movements there always comes for us i see an infighting with us because then there always there's some type of person who wants to be in control um i was fortunate enough to watch a um documentary on whitney young whitney young used to be um the national president for mm -hmm. that's the right League. and whitney young of course worked alongside with martin luther king um and it was three individuals but um, what happened was, um, you know, Martin was the more brash, outspoken, but Whitney was the, they say he was the businessman, the brains behind it, but he made white people comfortable. So he would tell them to their face in a joking matter, you know, you all suck, but he said it in a way that it was more palatable for them. So how can we as, you know, leaders in our homes, leaders in our communities um, speak up? And how can we regain that voice um, and not, you know, like, you know, like you said, like Roland Martin, you said, Peter, like Roland Martin and individuals like that have been taken off mainstream media and doing their side thing. So how can we regain that strength? How can we regain that power um, to rebuild our communities and continue to fight? Because it's like, you know, we're preaching, almost preaching to the choir. We're saying a lot of the same things to government officials, but they're not taking our words seriously so what do you think some of the solutions might be either one of you all can answer that question well i think it's a, again it goes back to the credibility issue we have to be more intentional and intense about building relationships with other black men it has to be that one of the things that barack obama did that they they never highlight was he reintroduced my brother's keeper mentoring program and he got it he got it funded at the federal mm -hmm. level and so in most of the historically black colleges and universities that adopted this program, you have very strong mentorship relationships being built. And this is how uh, Elder Smith came to Morehouse. This is how that connection was made for him to come to Morehouse. And he wound up paying the entire debt service of the 2019 graduating class from Morehouse. He's a billionaire. Most mm. of the guys that got that money had never right. heard of him before. Again, the, the, the ignorance part being pushed. Here's a black brother that's a billionaire. We're being told the only people that's making money is rappers and drug dealers. And here's a brother, a black billionaire who comes to your school to be the keynote speaker. And he he's moved in his heart by God to pay off all your school debt. So we've got to do a better job. This is black men not being angry at each other, not putting everybody in the discredited box 
and really just being intentional and intense about just building relationships with another brother. Because if they see us do it, they'll be more willing to do it. So when you say they, are you talking about others in our community? I'm talking about our people. people. Okay. We're not going to, I'm going to be honest. You're not going to change the mindset of the people outside of our community. Okay. Our, our biggest problem is what we've allowed to take place in our community. We know what they did and we still step in the trap. So we've got to, we've got to be, you know, long-term strategic thinking when, when the Latinos come here, they come here with a plan. So when you go into a Latino community in the United States of America, everything is in Spanish. Okay. They got lavendaria, grosia. They, 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 they whole community reflects the culture of where they come from. When you come into our community, it's someone else that owns the businesses. So again, we don't have a, we don't have a long-term plan. We have to have a strategy. And we gotta we gotta work on building those relationships because everybody's going, why you don't support black businesses? I don't even know no black business owner. And then when I do go, you know, I don't know how they're gonna treat me. So again, it's a credibility issue. Hey Will, can you hear me okay? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. All right, good, good, good. Yeah. Listen, man, y'all, y'all talking real good, real good. I um is a couple quick little notes I wanted to throw in. Uh, first of all, first off, big shout out to Whitney Young. I went to I'm an alum of uh, Kentucky State University and he was a, a Kentucky State University alum. Um, and I mean, you know, his story is absolutely phenomenal. He died before his time, just like Martin Luther King did, died in a swimming accident, um, you know, right in the height of what he was doing. He was just getting started with yeah. this program. Yeah. But I mean, you guys have said a lot, a lot of powerful things. One of the things I want to bring up is a book that came out maybe it's now it's been almost eight years ago, but it was written by a black woman named uh, Maggie Anderson. I believe she, her and her husband are both attorneys and it was called Our Black Year and they lived in Chicago, Illinois and they were trying to only buy black for a full year and see how that would work. Um, part of the issue is we have to, uh, we have to teach um, our children the, the, the importance of investing in black um, and, and buying black. According to um, their research and according to the study that was done by Northwestern University on their research, it literally said that if the upper uh, upper class of, the, of African Americans, if just the, the African Americans who have household incomes of 75000 and up, okay, those who are making money, if they would spend um, if they would spend 10% of their money supporting black business that we would create a million new black jobs overnight. Okay. And, and so part wow. of, can you get those statistics again? Yeah. If, if the upper class African-Americans, those African-Americans making $75,000 or more, those with a little bit of disposable income, if they would simply spend 10% of their money, of their money buying from African-Americans that, Overnight, we could hire a million new blacks. We could create a million new jobs in black businesses. But see, this issue is tied directly to my previous, my original point. Not only do white men not hear black voices, black men can't hear black voices. Because when rap was conscientious, going back to the late late 80s, early 90s, 
when there was a wide variety mm-hmm. of voices. You had women rappers, you had a lot of rappers who were speaking truth to power, not just angry, not just gangster or whatever, but it was a wide variety. You can get everything with rap. It was just a genre to tell a story. Back then in those days, it was big business. It was it was Sony. It was um, big money came into rap and decided, white men decided, we want to hear the gangster rap. That's what is going to sell. And they put their money behind a certain type of message. And it shifted voices. Mm. So we, we could, you know, oftentimes I feel like we take responsibility for, for, for things that we don't directly control because the, the, the deeper I look into the issues, I see a systematic effort to marginalize us and we have to recognize it's just like a moving tide man it we have to fight against a moving tide we have to run uphill to just keep pace with those who are walking when it comes to african-american fathers having national voices they call all of our preachers pimps they they treat all of our men who should be uh recognized recognized for doing great things or recognized and have some sort of a voice who have a Christian attitude, they've marginalized that. It's been years since a a black preacher was in the top 100 most influential African-Americans, African-Americans. It's, it's been, it's been years. So um, we, we, we're talking about a completely different generation. This isn't the same generation where when Mark, when, um, we had T.D. Jakes on the cover of Time magazine. Those days are long gone. We're in this time right now where the voices that we need to share, the, th- the things and the thoughts that we have that we know could make Black America better are almost always set aside. And we have to find a way to break through so that there are more. David, I think the mentoring program was key, but I, I wish Obama would have put more money behind it, put more teeth behind uh, monies to help Young men become fathers, big brother programs, big sister programs, money for mentoring in the hood could change the hood quicker than almost anything else because we have to raise up men to be men. And there has to be um, a concerted effort to buy together, to go into business together, to start to do startups together. Absent all of those things, uh, we, we won't have a voice because we need to now buy a voice. There's no black television networks anymore. We don't have a voice that we own. And I think that's why Byron Allen was fighting so hard to get black folks a, a, a black owned network that isn't majority owned or, or held in large part by white Af- by white corporate money. Um, it doesn't exist. So I think the state is worse than it, that the state of things is worse than we um, than sometimes we think, because if we don't have the ability to influence our own black children, then how in the world are we going to shift them? Mm. Wow. But we don't. That's the reality is we don't even have that voice. We can sit there and say all day, we need to fix our own neighborhoods. How? When they hear, when the even the messages they hear on TV that are projected by Black people is inspired by white money. It's the voices that they want to hear. Why is it that white boys ages 18 to 35 by 70 plus percent of the rap? They want to hear us call ourselves niggas and call our women hoes. They, they, why do they want to hear that? And what does that do for their mentality? And what does it do for our mentality? It, it's um, it's all about what we see, man. It, I, it's all about the our eyes, according to scripture. You know, I, you right. know it, it's mm-hmm. about what we're seeing, how we're imagining 
ourselves to be. And if we don't have a foot in that game to change the images we see of ourselves, then we're going to struggle um, get, getting gaining ground and getting on a right footing. So uh, one other thing, and I'll let it go. The economic, the economic aspect of what's happening right now. These white men who are crying out about freedom and money and oppression. Do you understand how many African-Americans, the largest African-American business opportunity has, for a long time has been either making money as a barbershop, as a salon, um, or in the, dealing with the black church or in a black restaurant. And so because those were the black businesses and all of them are shut down, I have so many clients right now who are not getting the funding because even when, when America says small businesses, they're not talking about mom and pops. They're talking about corporations with up to 500 employees. Who got all the money? Rich white people got all the money that was going out for the PPP program or for the EIDL program. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of that money mm -hmm. still went to white America. So at most African-Americans yeah. still didn't benefit from, from the billions that were just released that our taxes are now going to have to pay, help pay to put back. Um, and, and are still struggling. And yet we're not the ones on the street complaining. So it's just, it's not only is it unfair, it's unreasonable. It's unconscionable. We got a lot of work to do. And, and that's all I got to say. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so we didn't, we, we're not getting the money. We don't have, um, and we're still struggling to find a voice. And is so are you saying like, when we even go back to the early 80s, um, 90s, when it comes to, you know, you, how you talked about rap, because rap was very uh, conscious back then. I mean, you had so many, like like poor, the Poor Righteous Teacher, mm -hmm. the X-Clan, uh, Public Enemy, all these guys had something to say. They had a message. And then you said, you know, these huge conglomerates, they whitewash with their money. Um, and then they, they change the message because now you can definitely see um i mean if you watch any episode of like unsung when you you when you talked about you know groups like public enemy and then how the shift went towards you know gangster yeah. and because people become they become um enamored with this lifestyle and we all know that most people that do gangster rap ain't even really gangsters <laughs> That's the problem. Well, let me let me put it to you another way because I've done the research on this. Okay, I mean, when Columbia got into it, uh -huh. it uh, it upset it upset music. But for those who are not as familiar with the music, I'm going to go the other route. I'm going to go the movie route because we are, most Americans, white and black, are familiar with movies. So before Black uh -huh. Panther came out, do you know what the number one top grossing black movie of all time was? I tell you, Boys in the Hood. Before now, you would think, but it's not. Boys in the Hood made about $56 million. Um, Coming to America made $288 million worldwide. $288. And it came wow. out in it came out in uh 89. So this is the question. Yeah. After Coming to America Blue uh, was the top grossing black movie of all time, because that's what we like to see ourselves as kings and queens. That's the bottom line. And that's why Black mm -hmm. Panther hit so hard, because we've never seen ourselves like that in 30 years on TV. So then why then do you think Hollywood mm -hmm. would turn around after Boys in the Hood, which was popular, which made $56 million? We, If it was purely a business decision, 
why would we go? Why would they go and make eleven more movies like Boys in the Hood, Juice, Into Deep, all of the movies that came out at the Boys in the Hood were all about gangsters, Minister to society. society. We we all of these movies, none of them made fifty million. None of them came close to the money Boys in the Hood made. They never once tried to make a movie where we saw ourselves in Kings and Queens, even though we spent more money on that than any other movie. You look at the top ten grossing black movies of all time. And they were all comedies or positive, for the most part, positive experience movies, except for maybe Color Purple, which, you know, whatever. Um, but it wasn't negative in, in, in a gangster rap kind of way. And would not make another movie like that because their own racism keeps them from doing things that are in their own financial interest when it shows African-Americans in a positive mm -hmm. light. That's the kind of stuff we're dealing with. And it happened in music. That's why a guy like Common who could rap or somebody with a positive message like a India Irene never hit the same level, a platform uh, as a woman. A woman had to be has to be a gangster or raunchy or overly sexed um, to, to, to hit like a Cardi mm. B status or a little Kim status. Everybody tried to chase, uh, you know, uh, Kim. And my whole thought is, why was that OK? When we, why did the money have to flow that way? But the moment I'm gonna like, um, Rick, Rick Ross had a had a line in one of his songs where he was talking about putting a girl on Molly or, or something of that nature and drugging her and having date rape, rape sex. When he when he put that lyric out, I can't think of the song off the top of my head right now. He he got so much blowback. Now, he's been talking about shooting niggas all the time, okay? Killing folks, that was okay. Killing black folks is okay. But when he talked about raping a white girl, he got flack from the whole world. Why is that okay? It's like certain things are okay and certain things are not okay. As long as you're talking about killing other black people, you're good. Right. Because that's what sells. And that's right. the country we live in. Okay. We need our own mic to tell this kind of truth on a major scale so that we can shift the minds of our young people. There's nothing wrong with black people. They just they they just need the correct messaging to help them be productive. They're not flawed um, or, or broken beyond repair. They simply need the truth and some and to love themselves, like David said, to learn to love themselves at an early age, to understand the identity and their responsibility one to another. Not wait until they're 40 and 50 to figure it out, but to know that at 10, to know that at five, so they can have a productive life and grow up and be positive citizens, going to school, creating companies, you know, off of off, off GP just because we love ourselves. Anyway, uh, so I mean, all love is connected. All love is connected. I believe it. I believe, um, of course, it's, it's all systematic um, and institutionalized. Um, racism when it comes to us and then we even buy into this whole mentality that the white man's ice is colder um, like you said the whiter the better which is not necessarily true it's just for me um, it's like you know like you said they take the money we it, they siphon the money out of the black community and then we also even do it to ourselves because I believe what the 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 lifespan of the dollar in our community is what less than what 24 yeah, hours four, four hours because yeah. Four hours. Wow. That's that's absolutely insane. It's because it's like as soon as we get it, 
we mm-hmm. go elsewhere to spend it, but then we don't have the necessary stuff. I believe sometimes even in our own community to where we would even want to go and patronize the business. This is where relationship just, building is um, key. We, the, the, the problem with us is we've been sold a solution that hasn't proven to work. So they say, well, mm. we need more money. Well, well, money's not the issue if you're going to spend it in the next four hours in a whole nother community. The issue is relationship building. The reason why the civil rights movement was so strong, I, I went to school in Selma, Alabama. I went to college in Selma when I left the military. Okay. And so every Tuesday at 10, all of the pre-seminary students met at Lilydale Baptist Church, which was the only church in Selma that allowed Dr. King to have meetings there. So when they were preparing to do the Birmingham March, Lilydale Baptist was the church that they had the meeting at because all of the other pastors were afraid that the Ku Klux Klan was going to come and burn their house and their church down. They had the meetings at Lilydale. Okay. And so the pastor that was there, he told us the real scoop on civil rights, not the stuff they write in books and and the eyes, you know, eyes on the prize and all of that kind of stuff. That's more of a glossy kind of narrative. He told us the deal. And the deal with the civil rights movement in the early 60s was they built relationships. The pastors who believed Mm. in the civil rights movement got together and they built relationships. They met every week. They had coffee. The women would make pies and breakfast and they would sit down and they built relationships with each other because they realized the impact of what they were doing could cost them their lives. And Dr. King pulled no punches about it. He put it out there plain and clear. What we're getting ready to do may cost us. So if you're not willing to pay that price, this may not be for you. But we're going to do this because it is necessary for us and we feel like we're called by God to do this. And so they built relationships. So they were going to prison. They had dogs you know, sick on them and all kind of stuff. But the relationship that they had was the most dangerous thing. And this is why the Democrats came up with the whole New Deal program, because it was the black family that built the black church. And it was the black church that pushed the civil rights movement. And say what you want to about Malcolm X and all of that. Malcolm X never got any legislation passed. He did good speeches about doing anything by any means necessary. Malcolm X never had a fist fight with nobody. And eventually his own people took him out based on the same stuff and criteria we're talking about now. So True. <laughs> mm-hmm. this also deals with the credibility issue. The reason why black pastors are being attacked, black fathers, black men, and black intelligence is being attacked because it's going to directly impact the image of black men being these rapists and being these ignorant hub Bubba Bama, you know, can't talk, can't conversate, can't think, can't run business kind of people. So we have to change that by again, building those relationships. If I, if I want to do business, I'm going to do business with people inside of my community. Peter Griffin does my taxes because I'm a racist against white okay. people, but I'm I'm pro black business. This is my brother, so he's going to be the one that I do my. He's going to do my taxes when I do business. My business partners they look like me. I'm not going to trust somebody outside of my community that I don't know more than I trust the people in my community. So I make it my business 
to build relationships because credibility inside the relationship oh, context doesn't finally come to pass. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to be divisive and we're going to be continue to be destroyed. The Bible says a house divided against itself will not stand. We have no can't stand. We have no political so power. We don't have any economic power because we won't come together. Like I said about the Hispanic community, when they come here, they come with a program. It's 10 of them living in a house cutting grass every day, but they got a plan. Everybody chips their 10% in and then the next family buys a house and then they buy two lawnmowers and then they buy a pickup truck. Then they start their own business cutting grass. Now they're making $5 million a year cutting grass while we talking about the white man ain't giving us nothing. So there's a responsibility we have within wow. ourselves to take control of the narrative. Because if we don't do that, we're going to continue to victimize okay. ourselves with the white man holding me down. The white man ain't giving me nothing. The white man doing this to me. The white man doing that to me. He may very well be doing those things, but I don't have to succumb to that. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Meaning we got to transform our mind and say, you know what? No matter what, I'm not going to break covenant with my brother. I'm going to help him build his business. And even if he don't help me build mine, at least we got this one off. Now let's go and find somebody else and help them get theirs off. Because that's what they do in their community. Chicago has the second largest Polish community in the world. And the guess world. what they're doing? Yes. They're doing construction together. Mm -hmm. You know how I know? Because when I need some construction done, if the brothers don't show up, that's who I got to call. That's who you call. Yes, so we got to exactly. take the lessons. There, well, there's a Chinatown here in Chicago. A Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Everything in there is in Chinese. Where's the black town? Where's the African town? Why have we not got together and built our own communities? We've been here 400 years. It's time for us to start taking some responsibility. We need to sit down with the thinkers and we need to come up with a hundred year plan like everybody else has. And we need to start implementing it immediately. What Peter was talking about earlier, and I'm going to be quiet. African-Americans last year spent $1.2 trillion dollars. So the book that he was talking about, if we just took 10% of that, 10% of $1.2 trillion is, is, is north of $102 billion fed into black businesses. $102 billion. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Warren mm -hmm. Buffett is worth about $98 billion by himself. So when you're talking oh, about God. wealth yeah. disparity, you have to you have to put it in context. Uh, Bill Gates is worth 115 billion. Uh, Jeff Bezos is worth about 125 billion. So you have three white men at the top of the food chain that's worth 300 billion, and then you got us at 10 percent at a at 102 billion if we would just do the 10 percent. The tithe is a principle. And so if we just learned that, hey, I'm going to spend 10 percent of my money inside of a black business, I'm going to be consistent with that. And then I'm going to help educate them to expand and begin to hire other black people and to begin to move their business around and build more business and maybe become an investor in their business. We go out into the stock market and we invest in businesses we don't know nothing about for a return. But here are businesses right in our community that we can help germinate to become the next Walmart, the next Target, the next JCPenney. We have it right in our community. But for whatever reason, mentally, we can't make that connection and invest to push our own people up because of past experiences and things of that nature. Wow. OK, so question. So now we know, you know, we, we've heard and read stories about uh, Black Wall Street and, and it was in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was bombed in 19, mm -hmm. I believe, 1920. And then we know about how Jewish communities 
you know, they keep yep. everything within their community. Jewish communities, uh, the Chinese community, the Polish community, they keep all of these things within their community. They build business and do business yep. with themselves. H- however, when it comes to us buying black and doing business, then all of a sudden then we're hit with this reverse racism term when we say that, you know, I want to support all things black. And so then, you know, white people get upset with us for, you know, when we say that we want to support, you know, all things black and then they throw in this whole reverse racism thing and saying, you know, why, why, why can't we just support one another? Well, the evidence is absolutely glaring and clear that, you know, these, like you said, they had a hundred year plan, like, and those plans yeah. have proven to work. And so when we tried it, you bombed it and you blew it up. But well, we still, still need, we still to, need to go back then. It, it don't matter so how many what? times they bomb it. We still got to go back and do it. I'm a part of Black Wall Street mm-hmm. here in Chicago. We've helped, we've helped develop over a hundred businesses right here in Chicago <clears throat> and every of every stripe. Okay. So we got black people that ward in barbershops and beauty salons. We got black people that are opening up credit unions. We got black people that are in the foreign exchange market. We got black people that are doing import export businesses between United States and Africa, United States and Asia, United States and Europe. So we got black people that are in the oil business. We have black people that are uh, in the uh, gold and diamond mining business. So we are very expansive. The problem with us is because of ignorance, we don't know everything that we're doing. So like I said earlier, Brother Smith coming to fund um, Walmart, not Walmart, um, what is it? Um, Morehouse's senior. Oh, yeah. All of the articles up there about him funding, paying off their school debt. Not I didn't I barely saw one article about what this guy did. So we got people that are in the tech industry that are making millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And our black students are not being given that information. So because they're not being given that information, they Mm. put TI on TV. And now the kids are thinking, oh, okay, if I'm going to be successful and wealthy, I need to be like TI because that's all the image that I'm being given. I'm being given two chains. I'm Mm -hmm. being given this image that the white power structure that took over the rap industry decided our kids need to look like. So all of these little Uzi verts and all of these kind of weird kind of situations are being pushed as this is what you like as a kid. These decisions are being made by 65 and 75 year old men. And I know this personally because I rap when I was in high school. And when Def Jam came and opened an office here in Chicago on North Michigan, we used to have uh, open mic battles on Thursday night at a club called The Rib. And that's where Common, Twista, Do or Die, we used to have uh, hip hop groups here. And so I was a part of Zulu uh-huh. Nation and Shyrock. And we used to battle Purple Mansion okay. and all of the other groups here. So I got a look, cause I was I was killing these guys. I and, I mean, if you ask Common today about me, he will tell you I, I used to kill them. Cause that was, my, that was my thing. I was gonna get out with that. So a guy from Def Jam is there. They would come out on Thursday nights looking for new talent. They invite me down to their studio, to their office on North Michigan, and he gives me a tax write-off contract, which is 75, 25% to the label. It's 75%. But if I don't have people in college at this time that I'm friends with, 
that are studying pre-law because I'm getting ready to go to college. If they if they don't look at my contract, I would have signed that contract and been a slave. So wow. it's, it's all about the education wow. level and and built again fostering those relationships and and helping that healthy self image come back because a relationship will help you build your healthy self image and that's what our people are lacking. That's why the only thing we can do is smoke weed, turn up, mm. drink Hennessy, fight, gang bang, kill each other. But then a white police officer comes and shoots one of us, and don't nothing happen to him. And not that I'm a proponent of violence, but hey, why are you shooting your brother? You don't even know him, but here, here's this guy shoot eight citizens in the back unarmed, and it's nothing you will do to him. So, so there's there's a mentality there that we mm. got to build through healthy relationships. We can build our own community because, like you said, all the other communities are doing it, and they've been attacked as well. Wow, they've been attacked as well. Man, this is like this is powerful. We've been going like. I would like to do a, um, a part two of this because uh, Peter told me he had to go. Um, and if you guys are open, man, well, you know, if you're open to it, we can do another uh, part two of this because I believe that this is a message that needs to get out. And this is a message that needs to be heard, even though we've been saying it, you know, for decades and for centuries, you know, that our voice needs to be heard and that the, the power of the black male voice. I believe that we continue. We have to continue to. Um, say this and reiterate it not only in our community but also in other communities as well and show them by example how powerful our voices are and this is one of the reasons why i even began this podcast because it, it it gave me a voice and it gave me an opportunity to speak my truth um being a christian and all of those things but i still do also believe um that the fight for racial equity um is it's still upon us. We still have to keep fighting. We still have to uh, make our voices heard. So, Ben, Apostle Rogers, I really thank you for your time, um, for being on the podcast. And like I said, I want to do a part two to this. Um, if well, For my listeners who are listening uh, right now, where can they find your information? Like your website, your... your well, I, I own five businesses. I'm in the real estate okay. business. Um, I'm an investor and I do construction and I'm in financial services. So I sell life insurance, auto insurance, home insurance. So they can find me at www.dominionvisionenterprises.com. www.dominionvisionenterprises.com. And uh, we have a um, building project that we're doing uh, right now. Um, I'm an affiliate of a company called Thermosteel. So we build prefab homes from the ground up. So if anyone's looking to uh, build a new home from the ground up anywhere in the United States of America or Puerto Rico, they can uh, reach out to me. Uh, if you need life insurance, home insurance, uh, financial planning, budgeting, uh, they can reach out to me as well. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. So they can look me up on Instagram under David, the millionaire mentor. We will be having some um, more mentorship. We'll be teaching people how to, uh, build a uh, financial legacy through investing in real estate. It's the strongest uh, thing that you can do for wealth building in your family is to own hard assets in real estate. There is real estate and we were promised 40 mm -hmm. acres in a mule. We didn't get it. So I'm teaching our people how to get it. Okay, great. Okay. Pastor Rogers, man, thank you so much. And also I know Peter had to go, but I believe his website is, um, cbstax.org um, or you can look them up on Facebook under Peter Griffin. Uh, once again, thank you Apostle Rogers. Thank you to, 
to my my listening audience. And I'm we're out of here, man. This yes, is according to Will. We'll see you next time. Appreciate you all. Well, that ends another episode of According to Will. I hope that um, you were able to gain some knowledge, um, maybe some enlightenment and some insight on um, on these issues. Um, I want to apologize for um, some of the background noise that you heard. Um, I tried to edit out as much as I possibly could. So once again, please forgive me. But thank you so much for taking time out to listen. I always am appreciative for my listening audience. You do not have to listen, but you choose to. So I just want to say thank you. Um, If you have any feedback, I welcome your feedback. Um, Send your feedback, questions and comments to willsmith1914 at gmail.com. Once again, that is willsmith1914 at gmail.com. As always, once again, thank you so very much for listening. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys for listening to me. Um, And if you also, if you have any topics that you would like for me to discuss, shoot me an email um, and we can, you know, sift through them and we can see if we're going to discuss them or not. Once again, that's willsmith1914 at gmail. This is Will Smith. And thank you again. I'm out of here, you all. Be blessed. Have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great month. We're going to get through this pandemic together. I love you guys. God bless you.